sit down, take a chew and chew my money till we get it. Till we get it. Paul Wall in the coolest foot was ain't talking. Money speak all that bullshit. Keep it on the side. What's your most popular? What's your most popular TikTok video? Oh, my most popular one is actually probably my dissociative identity disorder, like symptoms you might not know about. One, I also have one that one of my alters made that she is introducing herself and she has a different accent than I do. Um, what so that? that one got a couple million views and it kind of scares me. Um, but what type of accent is it? Uh, it's she has this kind of British accent. She's not British. She's it's very hard to explain. But she was made in the mind of a seven-year-old in order to maintain the seven-year-old secrets. So she's a tree. So she's a tree spirit. She doesn't speak to anybody else who isn't a child. Mm -hmm. um, and she kind of just keeps the secrets and keeps uh, the children and the system safe from anything that might be going on that they don't want to interact with so um i don't know her very well because she won't talk to me as i'm an adult but um she does she has appeared on my tiktok before and on my youtube and has tried to do the content thing and tried to get more involved but i think there was a lot of backlash when it came to that major video mm -hmm. um that she made that went viral people were like oh you know like you're not real like that's obviously fake or you know, a lot of people just telling her to kill herself and all these really awful things. Um, and it just was kind of like, obviously, it's not a safe place for that specific altar to be out. Um, she's very vulnerable and emotional, so um, kind of a caretaker type. So it wasn't safe for her to be interacting online. But other altars like myself, um, James and... Um, a couple others will interact on TikTok more than she does. Okay, well, can I ask, am I talking to an altar right now? I don't have a full understanding outside of what I know from, you know, pretty much the internet, right? So I think I understand, you know, the basics of DID, but maybe for anyone that's listening, could you kind of explain the, the kind of overview of what we're talking about here? We kind of just jumped right in. Yeah, for sure. So um, DID is a trauma disorder. Um, it starts off in childhood. So it's something that I've just had my whole life and I didn't really know about. Um, I kind of, uh, I, I was adopted at a very young age and went through a couple different homes and just a lot of abandonment. Um, and there was a lot of stuff going on in between those homes that was obviously not good that I couldn't handle as a kid. So my brain just kind of blocked it out with amnesia. Um, and that causes like personality, like your personality to not integrate into one personality. So it kind of is more like you have, instead of one full personality, you have different aspects of one personality that might be different to varying degrees. So we have, you know, a woman alter who is a cis woman. We have me who's non-binary, um, kind of don't really have a gender. And then we have James who's more of a masculine protective figure in our system. And these alters are all meant to protect us from trauma or stressful situations that um, whoever was like originally born, like, couldn't handle and we all split from that so it's kind of like if you take a plate and shatter it where all the pieces like we're all part of the original plate but we all have like fractures and that separate us you know okay and i think that clears something up for me i think i had a misunderstanding there because in my mind there's one maybe maybe this is the most appropriate terminology there one like original person and then within their DID, there is, you know, personalities that front, but that that's kind of a misunderstanding. What you're saying is that each piece, the broken plate analogy, it's fully you. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that is actually a common misconception, especially with when it's called like multiple personalities. Um, you know, that's the term that it was called in the 90s and it was changed in the 90s to dissociative identity disorder mm -hmm. because it's really more of it's more like on a day to day basis my identity will fluctu fluctuate depending on a trigger that I encounter. So if I encounter a trigger that James is meant to protect from, 
James will come in and step in and he'll be a very protective kind of uh, energy, I guess. And he acts a lot like me, but he's a little more gruff and he's a little bit more like, like he definitely has differences, but to me it's, it's to anyone who doesn't know like the intricacies of my mind and how we talk to each other, they might not recognize that it's somebody different. They might just see that it's, oh, I'm just acting different or something. Yeah. So when something like, you know, James is present, are the other alters within you aware of what James is doing? And is that what you're referring to when you're referring to amnesia as different um, alters experiencing life and then the other alters not being able to kind of recall or interact with it? Yeah, that is something that happens. That's that's the amnesia stuff. So there's emotional amnesia, which sometimes we can recall what another alter did, but we feel like it wasn't us and we have absolutely no like reasoning behind it. It's kind of just like if you were to sit in your body and watch somebody else take control of your body and do something and you don't know why they're doing it. Um, like sometimes I'll go into my kitchen and I'll be like, what was I doing? I, I don't know what I was doing. And then there's a sandwich in front of me. And I'm like, oh, I guess I was making a sandwich. I was hungry and I didn't even know it. Score. Um, so, <laughs> you know, but uh, it can it can happen in like worse ways too. There are alters that, there are definitely problematic alters that are problematic to me um, just in my health is because some alters will have negative coping skills. Um, and that's usually something that we call like persecutors or persecutory alters who have kind of toxic coping skills like maybe self-harm or they're aggressive with people or in, internally with other alters. They might be kind of mean and they might say things that like if I'm standing in a mirror, I'll hear one of the persecutory alters be like, oh, you're so fat and ugly. I could do better than you. If I was in charge of the body, then I would make it look way better than you ever could. And it's just kind of like a constant, there's like constant dialogue going on in my head um, between all these different parts of myself that disagree with each other. Um, and part of therapy is bringing those, you know, like different, different parts together to agree and to work together as a team so that we can start remembering and the amnesia goes away so I can start kind of remembering what Blaine does when he's out or what James does like I have pretty good ideas of what James does when he's out um sometimes it'll still be blocked out if he's really like protective against something that's traumatic potentially um or really stressful something that I'm not supposed to know about like if we're in therapy and he's talking about something that was traumatic that he went through that I'm not supposed to know about. Um, I won't remember it yet, but Such difficult things would be kind of stored within him. And then when it's time to process them, then something mm -hmm. like games would kind of take over there. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. And therapists can kind of pull certain alters out with like just speaking to the person with the ID and, and talking to them and understanding each of their alters and like um, really giving them space to open up because some alters will be more willing to engage in therapy than others. Um, some are completely against the idea. They'll be like, no, I don't need therapy. I'm perfectly fine. Um, and it's like, um, Actually, buddy, <laughs> like me, I don't need therapy. I'm perfectly fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, is is the I don't know if this is necessarily an end goal, but you talked about kind of unifying your alters in order to have you know a clear memory and interaction. Are you like aware of all these alters, and is the end goal there to kind of a, exactly what you're saying, kind of get all of your alters onto the same? I don't know how to phrase this properly, but like the same kind of playing field to where they're all interacting, communicating, almost operating at the same time. Yeah. So it really with there's Let's two different terms. Other, if you will. Yeah, there's two different terms. There's something called integration, which is what I'm looking for, um, which is all of the alters coming together and talking to each other, being able to communicate, 
having amnesia barriers down. So if one altar is out, another one can see at the same time, isn't necessarily experiencing it, but is aware or can be aware if they try. Um, it's kind of like if you were to take a nap and you know when you're really groggy um, and you're trying to remember a dream and you can remember flashes of the dream, it's kind of like that when I wake up from a dissociation spell or a switching spell is I will see what happened in flashes if I'm aware of what happened. And if not, it's just completely gone. Where did I wake up? What happened? Um, so I'm trying to get to the point where I can have my memories basically be my own and, and share those memories as a whole. Then there's fusion. Fusion is when alters come together to become one integrated identity. This can happen after integration happens. So you have to integrate first and then you can see if alters are willing to kind of fuse to be one whole. Um, alters can fuse like one at a time, two at a time, three at a time, and then there's also final fusion, which is all of them coming together to become one. Damn, okay. So is DID partially like a journey to kind of integration and then the next stage fusion? Is it something almost like PTSD where there's steps where you can work through it? Yeah, exactly. With like steps in overcoming each trauma and like each like complex like feeling that comes with that trauma, you have to kind of, you know, work through each of the altars with and then you can work on integration with each of the altars and like talking to each other getting relationships between the altars um to be stable is really important um and just having like good relationships with each other um because some altars don't like each other some of them will fight like siblings or um some altars with toxic coping skills there are altars that might take on the same kind of identity as an abuser and they might not be exactly like the abuser but they will still enact abusive kind of scenarios in the in the headspace like in your head to um kind of torture the other alters i guess um and it's it is a protective technique in their their sense they think that if we do that enough we'll be desensitized to it so then we can't be abused again right but it still is traumatizing to yourself. It's still like re-traumatizing yourself over and over again. So you have to be able to work with each altar on what they're going through and kind of um, work on all of their issues, getting them to work together as a team. And that's why it can take, you know, years and years. And it might not even be um, like fully done because you might not have, you, you could still regain memories and uncover other altars that are hidden. Um, so it's kind of like a never-ending process, really. Uncover other altars that are hidden. I mean, are, are you pretty aware of all of, of your altars? Or do you think that there's altars that you're unaware of or hidden? And kind of what does hidden mean? That's something super interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, from what I know, I know that there are altars that I don't know personally. Um, there, are alt there are altars in the system that do know those altars, um, and they have relationships with them, and they keep them safe. From kind of like you had mentioned an altar earlier that mm -hmm. had, she had introduced herself on your TikTok, but you haven't met her because you're not a child. Yeah, um, exactly like that. Okay. So, she probably knows people that don't know you exactly she knows a lot of people that don't know me um a lot of the, the children and i don't have any um you know i only have two kids that i'm aware of which is Kay and chris they both hold some trauma from childhood but most of it isn't stuff that i can remember um they remember for me and they'll come out and talk in therapy and work with the therapist um but I won't recall anything that they talk about. So they'll also talk about other altars that they have relationships with that they want to work on in the system. And I'll be like, who are you talking about? Yeah, um, surprised you. Wild. Wow. 
Yeah, and I guess when I say hidden, I mean I mean just like hidden from me. Like even if I were to go searching for it, um, it's kind of like if you go into my head, there's a bunch of rooms and doors in this giant mansion, and you can look through all the rooms and doors, and some are locked. Um, the basement is locked. Those are probably where they are. <laughs> um, they're probably in locked rooms. If you go outside the mansion, there's a whole world that is just endless. Um, there's a forest, there's a beach, there is a desert with a bunch of holes in the ground, um, which kind of freaks me out. I don't go to the desert. Um, but this is all stuff like, this is like a landscape in which all the altars can interact with each other. Um, but some of them don't want to, so they hide in caves or in the holes in the ground or in a locked room in a mansion. Um, so. I mean, this very, like, visual representation of your mental space, is that something that goes heavy into your art? I do paint a lot of landscapes that go into, like, how my altars present, um, how my inner world presents. Um, but most of the time I just do realism and stuff. I've been working on realism lately, but a lot of my older paintings are very surreal kind of visual representations of what I might see in my inner world. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I'm, I'm curious about the inner world there because that's where, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you have, you know, a mansion where the the primary altars exist, and they probably, it, it sounds like that's where they live, and there's areas where they're locked away, and then outside that home is where all, you know, uh, uh, tons of what, what we referred to earlier as, like, hidden stuff, and hidden altars exist. Yeah, um, I don't have a lot of access with my inner world. It's kind of hard for the host, um, which I'm a host. It's kind of the most, uh, the person who's out the most and experiences the external world the most, except for like traumatic or stressful incidents, um, it's kind of hard for me to access the. Jeez. My fault, my fault. <laughs> but um, it's kind of hard for us to access that all the time because um, it's not something that, like, I don't, I'm not always daydreaming but other altars will be able to kind of experience that when they're not out. So like, since James isn't out right now, if he were to come out, he might be able to talk about the inner world more. Okay. Um, it, it sounded like you kind of had some, what sound like archetypes for altars, right? So you called one a, um, a persecutor, and then we've called a couple trauma holders. And they, that those both, I, I think, make pretty, pretty, pretty pretty good sense just by the name you can understand their role are there any others that are more like typical or are there any other archetypes that you have absolutely there's we have the caretakers um which are altars that sort of take on a parental type of role um that might be older um presenting so we have elise who's about 40 and she cooks i do not cook i can't cook for myself that's something that um, I don't know why I think I just have issues around eating, but um, when I get hungry enough, she'll come out and she'll be like, you need to eat, you need to take care of yourself, and she'll clean my kitchen, and then she'll brush teeth, brush hair, that kind of thing, and just make sure the body is taken care of. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the dad figure who's Jasper, and he has a face that's based off of a character from Twilight, which is very interesting, <laughs> but he um, he takes on a very parental father figure role of a like father that I never had around, and it's kind of like it. These these are parents that I feel like I wish I had that would like I wish my parent taught me how to clean, how to take care of myself, how to love myself, um, and I wish my dad would protect me. So you know, um, Jasper, he comes out and he's very protective of who we're friends with. He wants to meet our friends and be like, okay, these are safe people. Um, you know, wants to meet my boyfriend and make sure he's a safe person, that kind of thing. Um, 
And that's not something that I had as a kid. So I think that I needed it. And my brain was just like, we need these types of people. So we're going to make them. Um, and for other archetypes, there's like, obviously there's the, the kids um, who act like kids. Mm -hmm. um, they do childish things. And then there's the teen alters. And I think those are the ones that cause some of the most problems there's Blaine, who also fits a persecutor role. Um, he's kind of, he's great. I love him. There's nothing wrong with him. It's more just that he has an anger issue and he's very snappy. And, you know, if you were to interrupt him when he's doing something, he'd go like, fuck off. Like, don't talk to me, you know. Um, and uh, he kind of is kind of like, he can he can be he can misread situations. So something that happens is he will think somebody is talking to him in an aggressive manner um, when it's just kind of like a trigger that he's not necessarily aware of, and so he'll react as if it's an abusive scenario when it's just somebody's a little annoyed because I drank their milk or something. You know, it's not a big deal, but mm -hmm. he'll react as if it is. And then there's Lucy, who does really impulsive behavior. So, and Blaine will too, if if you put, if, if like, you have friends around, uh, peer pressure is really easy. So you could, like, bring any kind of drug out and be like, hey, why don't we do this? And m those two alters will be, absolutely, let's do it. Let's, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so I have to kind of watch who I'm around to make sure that they won't take advantage of those kind of like more vulnerable states of my identity. Yeah. And that kind of um, makes me think of, you know, are there any alters that just hold different like character or integrity or morals than you typically would? Absolutely. Um, okay. I have Skylar. Um, who I don't know too well personally, but I know of him and what he experiences. Um, he comes out a lot during, I also am diagnosed with bipolar disorder, so I have psychotic episodes. Mm -hmm. And he'll front during those. And he's also completely, a complete opposite of me. Um, so he can be aggressive and not violent towards other people, but he can be hostile and not very friendly um, and will cut people off and just not talk to people for like six months at a time. And I'll wake up and I'll be like, where'd all my friends go? <laughs> oh no, what happened? And um, that, that can be really scary because I know that he's there for a reason. I know he's there because, you know, we had something happen that we needed to isolate from everyone and we needed to be safe in some kind of scenario. But um, it's it causes a lot of problems because if that happens at random, you know, I just stop showing up at work. I stop answering all my texts. Uh, people are kind of like, are you okay? What's going on? Um, and it's like a completely different person. Um, and I think that's one of the alters that I have the most separation from just because he's such a different character. Like he's such a different version of me that I would never expect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that sounds terrifying, right? The idea that, you know, you, you kind of lose consciousness for six months and then come back to and like, oh God, consequences now from actions I don't remember taking part in. Yeah, and that's the thing that sucks the most about DID is that there is system responsibility and that's something that, um, it just sucks, but it's part of life. And uh, you can't blame other alters for the actions because you are all part of one. Mm -hmm. um, if Skylar is to, you know, cut everyone off and not talk to anyone, then that's something that I need to be aware of. And like, I need to be like, okay, that happened. Um, I woke up, all my friends have disappeared and I don't know what happened. So I go to therapy and I work on, Skylar's issues um, and that's you know my responsibility in the system is to recognize kind of everything that's going on and try to address it in day-to-day -day life as the host I feel like
part of my responsibility is to make sure that everybody else is okay too. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you're pretty open about your DID, obviously, you know, it's not something that you're, you're, you're very secretive about when, when people get to know you and they start to see other altars fronting, are they as open back to you? Do they say, Oh, you know, I see Jasper here. Or are you mm -hmm. open with them saying, Hey, it's me, Jasper. How does that work when you're interacting with people? Yeah. In your life? It depends on the situation I'm in. If I'm in like a private, like, like hanging out with my friends or hanging out with someone that I'm close with, then yeah, I will have them be like addressing the altar by name and talking to them and, and that kind of thing. But if I'm out in public or let's say I'm in a class or a group, a self-help group or something like that, then I'll just go by Destin, no matter who's out. And we all kind of will assume kind of like, um, a natural state of like, we don't even control it. It's just like, we'll pretend to be one person as much as possible. Um, sometimes that's something that can't happen and we'll just act completely different. And this is when it gets interesting because we'll meet someone in public and we'll be like, yeah, I'm Destin. And they'll say, you know, um, and they'll act like me, but I will front later and absolutely have no recollection of that person. Um, and so and it was that, just an alter taking the host's name. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So some alters will be totally open with when they're out, um, especially with people they're comfortable with, but it really does take a long time for our system to warm up. I think the only person who knows every single alter in my system is probably my boyfriend. And that's because he's just seen us when we aren't even, you know, doing anything. Wow. Well, I, I know we talked about getting on the wrong side of TikTok, And I, I think the number one thing I see, you know, really negatively towards DID people is the idea that it's just all made up, right? Just like anyone that's online talking about a disability people haven't heard of or aren't familiar with, even if they have, and you know, people online, nothing's real to them. <laughs> it's just, yeah. you know, you could show, you could do anything, it'd be fake. Uh, but I mean, how how does that how does that uh, how do your alters respond to that, and how do you respond to that? And kind of is that something that's been thrown at you? And what do you think? Oh yeah, I've had a lot of people say that. DID isn't real or that my DID isn't real or that it's too rare for me to have, um, which I find interesting because, I mean, <laughs> it's just, I mean, of course, if you find someone that has a rare disorder and you're like, oh, you have a rare disorder, like, that's so, you know, weird. I, it's hard for somebody to understand. Um, and I think I try to be a little bit more understanding when somebody's, like, baffled by it because... I was at first. I actually didn't believe in DID when I was first diagnosed with it. It was something that I thought was completely like some demonology bullshit. I thought it was, uh -huh. you know, oh, and possession um, kind of thing. Uh -huh. um, so when my therapist sat me down, it's like, I think you have dissociative identity disorder. I want you to look into it and tell me how much you relate to it. Um, just see if it fits. If it doesn't, that's fine. We can find a different diagnosis and see from there but I related to almost every single thing on the list and I went to her and I was like okay what is this um you know and she referred me to another specialist who diagnosed me with it and I I thought it was bullshit so I found another specialist to diagnose me with it um and she was like yep you definitely have DID and I was like this is this doesn't make sense because I I would know right she's like no actually you wouldn't <laughs> oh, okay. Amnesia, sure, yeah. That's yeah. One, one um, of the side effects, yeah, absolutely. And How long ago was that? That was in 2020, mm. so that was two years ago. Um, and it is still something that I'm getting used to. I think that I'll still try to live my life as if I don't have other people sharing it with me. Um, and some alters need to be addressed. Some alters absolutely need to have their needs addressed um, and I will forget them and then they will come and remind me that they exist. Um, and that can look like a variety of different things that can look like Andrea fronting at a party and introducing herself as Andrea to every single person and being like, I'm Andrea and I live in this body 
we have DID and you know she's very open mm -hmm. um, or it can look like Blaine having a self-harm episode and ending up in a psych ward so it can look like a variety of different things for me and I mean every system is different everyone has alters like my alters are very overt which means they they present very obviously for the most part some systems will have alters that are almost exactly identical in presentation but internally they're extremely different so it really just depends on the system some can completely camouflage to what a typical host interaction would look like and then some are you know introducing themselves by a different name exactly yeah, yeah. rough rough and then i mean really the goal of all of this is to to fuse all of them i mean what does that what does that look like what is like a, a fused, a like fused system? Look? Yeah. Yeah. What is it? What does a fused system kind of present as? Is it just a typical host interaction at that point because everything's kind of lined up? Yeah. So it would probably be. So I I don't have experience being a fused system, obviously, sure. but um, from those that I know that do have experience with it, they talk about it as if every single alter is aware and co-conscious at the same time. And there is no more amnesia between them. There is no more emotional amnesia. It's all just, this is me. All of it is me. Every part of this identity is me. And I think if you, if you think about it in terms of somebody who doesn't have DID, um, let's say like you go to work, you are a different person at work than you are at home, right? 100%. Yeah, it's it's very similar to that. I would be, it's just that when I'm at work, I don't remember being at work. And I'm a different person at work and I come home and then I'm a different person at home. Um, and I'm kind of more of the work and home personality, but that's kind of a easier way to understand it. But if I were to be fused completely, then I wouldn't have those separations between um, the identity, I'd, it'd be able to flow as one kind of thing. And it would be a spectrum, um, if you will, of myself rather than separate little chunks. Yeah, absolutely. While you're still, you know, might have to behave differently at work than you do at home, you're fully conscious and aware of those, you know, differences. Exactly. And sure. a fused system might still have um, some, you know, separation and identity between uh, like, let's say uh, they have an altar that fused with another altar. Let's say they're a system of two. Um, that altar might be different than the other altars that exist. So, like the fused one might be a new kind of person. Um, and that that would be like a mix. Like if you take red and blue and you make a new color, it's purple. But the red and the blue are still there, you know? Well, one thing I'm kind of curious about is the names of your alters. Are these names that you're giving them, or do they kind of have names? How, where do the names come from? Is it just something, like, is it a label you give them to, be like, I, I know that this is a person because of the way that I, I feel this interaction, so I'm going to call them Blaine, or mm -hmm. is it, oh, they kind of came with that name? They kind of came with that name, most of them at least. They kind of present themselves. It's like if you were having a dream and somebody came to you in a dream and was like, hey, my name's Blaine. How are you today? And you're like, okay, that's Blaine, I guess. Um, yeah, there's never a point of it being named. They just are. Yeah. They just have a name. Um, yeah. Some alters actually don't have names. Um, some are more fragmented is what I call it. Um, so they aren't necessarily a full identity. They're kind of more of a, a fragment of an alter. Um, so they might only have a memory um, or only hold a feeling um, and be very dissociated from any identity whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, and those don't necessarily have names. I'll, I'll sometimes come up with a name for them just so that they can start developing an identity so we can work on whatever that is um, in therapy. But most of the time, the name just kind of comes with the person. Hmm. Interesting. I, I know you said you had an altar earlier that was a tree. Yes. <laughs> Are there any other non-human altars? 
Yeah, so non-human altars are interesting. It kind of comes from a place of um, a child feeling like they have been treated as a subhuman or as a superhuman in some cases. So in my case, we have an altar who's kind of demonic in a way um, because we were treated as if we were possessed by a demon. Um, my parents were very strict evangelicals and they gave me a exorcism. So it was something that I uh, kind of developed a altar that, you know, views himself as having horns and kind of being a bad boy, like demon, you know, so that it's kind of like the, the self fulfilling prophecy thing. If a, a child is like told every single day, you're a liar, you're a bad kid, even though they're not, they're going to fulfill that role, you know, to kind of be like, you think I'm that? Well, I'm going to be that. And I'm going to be worse than you ever imagined. So I think that's kind of where he came from. That's Blaine. Um, and he's very rage filled and angsty and, you know, um, but your parents performed an exorcism on you. Yes, they did. At what age? I was 17. Oh my God. They performed an exorcism. So I grew up fundamentalist Christian, right? I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm with it. You know what I mean? This is not, some people would hear that and be like, I don't know, but I, I boom, I'm with it. Totally yeah. not out of the realm of possibilities for parents to do that. And for the parents to beg, it's because I love my child, right? For this yeah. reasonable step-by-step, got to do a straight up exorcism on my, you know, child with mental health problems. Yes. That's, uh, I mean, I, I guarantee I went to church with people that, you know, got, got, got themselves in the same type of mess. But at 17, you know, you are adult enough to kind of know. Well, I mean, were you a believer at that time? Were you? I like, was. Uh, I okay. completely believed that I was possessed because I was having episodes where I would wake up and not remember self-harming. So mm -hmm. I was like, well, it must be a demon. There's no other answer. And especially um, the framework that you have, right? It's, yeah. It was heaven and hell. It's not, you know, mental health shit that you're learning in church. It's heaven and hell shit. So, yeah, I think more sense didn't believe in mental yeah. illness. It was demons. <laughs> no, yeah. And people, it's, it's hard for, to imagine a lot of people who didn't grow up hardly relig heavily religious, how you get there. But it's like, that's the type of stuff you're taught. You know, it seems, it doesn't seem out of the ordinary. And that's the type of stuff that my parents were taught. It's just, mm -hmm. it's been a tradition for, years my grandparents you know were even more you know fundamentalist christian like than my parents or something yeah they're very uh they they were i don't even know how to describe them without using some choice words but uh, <laughs> oh boy uh very strict people <laughs> yeah and so what did the exorcism actually look like like what, what was yeah. the process of the exorcism so i had uh, a pastor come to my home with my with his wife and my mom was standing with them and they all decided to do this circle around me and they held hands um and i sat in the middle of them on my knees and then they started putting their hands on me and they were praying um but they were praying in like tongues um so that was like a huge part of it. And they put holy, holy oil on my forehead. And then they started calling me by my dead name, which is I'm trans and I uh, don't go by that name. So my mom was started calling me that name and being like, oh, this is the real one. You need to come out, let go of the, you know, my child. And um, they all started shouting it and, you know, chanting um and praying over me and they all had their hands on me and i just remember feeling claustrophobic and all of a sudden i felt rage boiling over and blaine came out and he looked at them he's like i fucking hate all of you get the fuck away from me um stop touching me and they were like we found the demon it fits Cast right into out. the narrative yeah it fits right into the yeah. Demon thing that they're seeing, of course. Yeah. So, you know, they, they really thought Blaine was a demon. And that's really when he kind of like was like, Am I a demon? Like, am I really this evil thing that's possessing 
this poor creature, you know, um, making them do all these bad things. And that's really not what he is. He's a 16-year-old boy that just really likes to swear and do things he shouldn't. He likes to smoke weed when he shouldn't do it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Don't blame him. <laughs> exactly. So um, I think it really was just that uh, he was just a problematic kid that was being labeled as an evil creature. Um, and so now part of his recovery is just learning how to love himself and not uh, be so angry all the time. And it's kind of releasing all that anger at his parents and like that, the built up resentments that, you know, like led him to exist um, so that he can finally kind of feel at peace and free. Wow. So I'm sorry, you're like 23, 24. How old are you? I'm 23. So that was just five years ago. Yeah. So five years ago, you, you know, believe you're probably possessed by demons. Yes. And then within the past couple years, you find, mm-hmm. okay, not demons. Not demons. Right. It's a, you know, it's a trauma response. It's something I can work through. It's something. What was that like for you? It was probably one of the hardest things in my life to uh, kind of understand. Um, I was deeply religious growing up. Um, I really believed that if, I was trans and openly queer and all this stuff that I would be going to hell. Um, So I was, you know, I I volunteered at my church. I did all kinds of church stuff. I was really into it. I got my friends Bibles for their birthdays, that kind of thing. Um, And when my mental health started picking up, it felt like that's when I I lost my touch with religion. Um, It just completely crashed around me and I was like well if I'm going through all this trauma why is God like not saving me I'm praying right um and my mom would say stuff like oh well you're not praying hard enough and uh you know stuff like that and when I started getting worse she did the exorcism and it didn't work um everything got so much worse after that i ended up in a psych ward and then she kicked me out and i was on the street with my boyfriend for a while um just couch surfing um and i was having more and more amnesia and more and more memories and flashbacks and all of these horrible experiences just all the time i couldn't stay stable for more than three months at a time so I was in the psych ward about nine times. Nobody could figure out what exactly was wrong with me. They said it was bipolar, schizophrenia, BPD, all kinds of stuff. Um, Put me on more meds than I could think of. And then eventually they said it was epilepsy, um, which it wasn't. (laughs) But um, I kind of just stopped believing in God. And I stopped believing in demons and spirits and all kinds of stuff um and i got really interested in nursing and psychology and i looked into psychology stuff um and discovered trauma disorders and was looking more into that um for a while um and was going to therapy and that's when you know the dissociative disorder stuff came up and i was very shocked by that i think that when I was first diagnosed, it actually really pissed off some of the alters in the system. I remember Blaine being like, no, that's not true. Like, that's not, like, we're not crazy. Um, and trying to throw himself out a window, which is kind of crazy. Um, but um, after discovering the diagnosis of DID and talking to other people who had it and finding people like Multiplicity and me, um, entropy system, Bobo and Co., people like that, uh, that talk about their disorder um, and their experiences, I, I suddenly was, oh my God, I can live. I, I don't have to kill myself because, you know, other people are living with this and are thriving and, you know, are healing 
and I, that I might think it's incredible. Good. You go from demon possessed and homeless to full time artist in therapy. That's a pretty fucking bootstrap story right there. Oh, I think that's you. a fucking success story right there. That's wow. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I mean, yeah, now I am running an Etsy store um, full time uh, and selling paintings. It's pretty fun. Um, lots of therapy, a lot of therapy, but it is worth it. Um, so I know there's a comedian I know in Austin. She goes to therapy four times a week. Yep. Therapist is my best friend. <laughs> if it works, it if it works, work it. You know. Exactly. Yeah, I think that I don't know. I've had probably the most growth in the past two years after being diagnosed than I ever have in my life. I remember when I was first diagnosed, I wouldn't get out of bed. Um, I I wasn't on any medication, and I was struggling daily. My kitchen was a disaster. I wouldn't leave my house. Um, and now I, I can manage. Okay. I still have like a really hard time with getting out of my house and talking to people sometimes, but I do have a service dog now and she helps a lot. So <laughs> awesome. that's been a plus. Um, and just like embracing the altars, I, I was absolutely terrified of embracing them and allowing them to showcase themselves and to be themselves. But that has that has improved our relationship so much and just the relationship with myself and being able to understand myself. And um, before I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I was like, I, I have no ambition, I have no motivation, I don't know what I like. I didn't know myself, but taking time to know each of the altars, I get to know what I like, what I dislike, what, you know, art style I do best, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, my, my diagnosis saved my life, I have to say. It's good to hear. And in a lot of this, did you learn from the community that you became a part of that you're talking about? I, you said Bobo Co. and a few other names. And mm -hmm. I, some of them sound familiar. I might, they might have come up on my feed online. Um, and that's kind of the strategy that, they, that they're that they kind of implementing as well. Like in, embrace your altars, interact with them, you know, get yeah. to know yourself. Yeah, it's a huge thing in the community of just acceptance and allowing your altars to interact, be themselves, um, you know, as much as they're comfortable with. And, you know, setting boundaries with your altars, learning how to have relationships with each of the, the altars in your system and like um, letting them have relationships with each other and not being afraid of what healing looks like. And it can be really, really, you know, dirty sometimes. It can look awful and just, you know, it, but after a couple years of, you know, going through it and facing some of the most argumentative alters in my system head on and just being like, listen, we need to work through this. Like we have to work as a team. Um, cause this, this is a body we share. You don't get to destroy it because I live here too. Um, that has been, I don't know, something that I didn't know I would be able to do, but, um, now I'm able to, actually function a little bit better awesome i mean i think a lot of, and I, I think you know i can admit definitely my first reaction too. a lot of people see it and they go like no way right if it, if it comes up on their feed mm -hmm. you watch a video and you think is this person doing a like is this is this person lying to me or are they delusional yeah. um do you think any of the people that you see online are faking it I think that there are people that do fake it. And that's something that might be controversial for me to say. But there are people who do lie about it. Maybe like 5 to 10% of people in diagnostic criteria, um, based on what doctors say, have been found to be faking it for mm -hmm. manipulative purposes, such as getting out of a criminal charge um, which is not something that can work. Um, it's actually something that now if you're diagnosed with DID and one of your alters shoplifts, you will still get charged. Yeah. Um, 
which I 100% agree with. I agree with like system responsibility and um, something that I don't believe in um, going up to to any anybody on TikTok and being like you're faking. I think that it, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Maybe maybe they're lying. You know, maybe, but it's it. There's a slim chance, and I think that if you really like get to know the person and get to know their alters, you can kind of determine that. Um, but I think for the most part, people are being honest because it is a very stigmatized disorder. I think that there are, of course, going to be some outliers that are trying to get attention or are trying to um, just do something because they're a teenager and they they do things like that. This is something that happened with the schizophrenia community. People would pretend to have schizophrenia for a while mm-hmm. because there was a movie about it. And um, I think that the more publicity DID has, there's going to be more of that. But I also think the more publicity it has, the better, because we need more awareness about this disorder. Maybe um, less people think they have a demon possession. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, hopefully, yeah. yeah. But um, I do think that there are people that do struggle with this, and there are such dramatic presentations of it online that are misleading, um, which is why I really try to be as open and honest about my experience as possible so that I can educate as many people as I can. Um, if somebody doesn't believe me, um, I usually don't take it too personally. Um, mm-hmm. It is kind of hard to believe experience, and it is very subjective. Um, dissociative identity disorder is, uh, it kind of overlaps with something called maladaptive daydreaming disorder. So a lot of the internal world um, experiences that feel very real um, are just daydreams that we can't control. Um, And the identities are very real identities that exist within us, but, you know, the complex narratives that might build those identities might not necessarily be true. Um, And there's always kind of a nuance to it that the therapists have to kind of take into account. So... If you hear something like completely unbelievable, it is possible that it is made up. But for the most part, it sounds unreal because it's a daydreaming disorder as well as a dissociative disorder. Not just with DID. Maybe this makes me dumb. But like with anything, I always figure the best practice is just to interact with good faith and just assume no one's lying until you have obvious proof that they're lying. Unless it leads to serious consequences. I won't get anywhere in life if I just doubt and assume everyone's lying, you know? Exactly. I, I go about it. Sell me a car, it's a different fucking story, right? But yeah. If somebody has obvious proof they're lying, then I'll be like, okay, I'm suspicious. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I take it, I just, I'm just like, yeah, you probably are experiencing that because I don't know why someone would fake, you know, a whole experience like this. Yeah, that's the way I say this. Unless you're trying to sell me a car, I have no, I have no way of saying it. I have no interest in doubting someone. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I read a story about a guy who saw a trucker that had a monkey, and the monkey had a little bat, and the monkey with the bat fought a Rottweiler. And oh I was retelling God. the story, and my chick was like, do you believe that? And I was like, why not? There's no reason not to. I don't not believe it. I don't believe it. How, knows, how really? they, what was that? Who knows, really? You know? I mean, it's, it's true to someone. Why wouldn't it be true to me? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that makes me not very uh, critical person. I would never be a journalist or anything. But <laughs> for the most part, I just think, you know, if it makes sense, make sense of it. Yeah. No. Um, and I think with things like DID, there's always going to be, like, extreme experiences. And there's going to be experiences that seem more normal and it all just depends on the individual and what they've been through. Um, it's subjective experience and mental health is, that's why it's so hard to diagnose people with things is because it's all a subjective, you know, experience. I had a, a buddy of mine who's a, a doctor on and we were talking about like chronic pain and the overlapping of like illness fakers. And she mm-hmm. kind of had the same thing where it's like, you should never assume someone's faking illness and that's only led to you know more problems in the medical industry not less problems yeah and she was like always you know start from the starting point of like you know the there are diseases that only one person will ever have right yeah. 
there's a disease that only a hundred people will ever have, but they live a thousand years apart, right? Like there's just like right. so much stuff going on, you know, always just operate on that base level that someone like you would know yourself best. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, especially when it comes to like getting diagnosed with the idea if, um, you know, you think you might relate to some of the experiences or whatever. Like, I think just taking it from like the doctor being like, oh yeah, you relate to some of this. Let's just take it from there and see how it goes. Um, I've had a lot of experiences of, of doctors just not believing me um, and thinking that I'm either making it up for attention or that I'm delusional um, and psychotic. Um, and that has been really hard to get accurate treatment because psych, psych, antipsychotics don't work for DID. Medication doesn't work for DID. It's, it's therapy that works for DID. Um, and that's the only thing that's really benefited my life, um, you know, other than like my bipolar meds. But medicine doesn't work for DID. I didn't didn't even think about that. Yeah. So because it's a trauma disorder, there isn't necessarily an anti PTSD medication either. Mm -hmm. um, it's a so, process that you work through, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you, I mean, DID is really just a very complex PTSD syndrome. So if if you think about it, everyone with CPTSD, PTSD experiences dissociation and dissociative episodes. Um, but with DID, it's a lot more severe. Um, and uh, it's kind of like, um, in my experience, it's like, this was too severe for me to have gone through. So it had to have happened to somebody else or I've already been yeah, and it just doesn't fit into my story. It can't. Um, and, you know, someone with PTSD will go over the same event over and over and over again, um, like in their head and kind of relive it. But with someone with DID, we have alters that are reliving those traumas um, over and over again, stuck in the headspace and are a separate part of our consciousness is living day to day. Um, so it's just kind of even more separate than PTSD. Yeah. Well, we're, 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 we're closing up on an hour here. I'd love to hear kind of like final remarks on things that you would love people to know or love people to look up or any resources that you say, hey, you know, this is my number one. Check this shit out if you want to know a little more info, even if it's your own TikTok, whatever it is. You know, yeah. where you direct uh, the people listening to the fart locker the head too. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, TikTok is the the cryptid system. If you want to follow me on there, I make jokes about DID a lot of the time, but I also make some educational content. Um, I think one of the best DID re resources right now is probably going to be um, DID.org. Um, they have a lot of really good information about dissociative disorders. So um, or just dissociativedisorders.org, too. Um, they're really good. Um, and if you want to check out my artwork, I have uh, an Etsy. It's Destin Draws Store on Etsy. And Fantastic art. Fantastic. 10 out of 10. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> I, used to, I used to sell websites to artists. Mm -hmm. And my favorite thing to say to artists, because it's very true, is uh, the best art doesn't get sold. The art that gets seen does. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That was, a, that was a slogan of mine. I didn't <laughs> raise up. I'm kidding. But <laughs> Man, well, thank you so much for coming on and your cat. Your cat had a great role. I appreciate everything that she yeah. did to do to this as well. <laughs> She's very loud. <laughs> yeah, and obviously you're more than welcome back on. You were very fucking interesting. It was very, very, very interesting perspective, and I really appreciate you coming to share it with me. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I had a great time. I'm glad we were able to finally uh, pull it off. Absolutely. I think a lot of people hear the fart locker and they go, I'm out. <laughs> I, I had to say, I was like... Rebel Ocean, 